Hello and welcome to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. I'm your host, Randy, and in this cafe, we embrace newcomers and experts alike to everything on the cutting edge of technology. And of course, everyone is talking about the rise of AI. So today we brought an incredible expert to talk about the rise of AI, how we coexist with algorithms in our daily lives and businesses, because algorithms are uh, taking more and more of a prevalent role in our everyday lives. We have Kartik Hosanagar, Professor of Technology and Digital Business and Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Kartik, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really a delight to have you here on such a fascinating topic. Hi, Randy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. So, Kartik, before we dive into everything with AI and algorithms, let's just get to know you a little bit. Uh, if we were in an actual cafe, not just a virtual podcast cafe, uh, where would we be and what would we be drinking together? Set the stage. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. I am in California this summer, so I'm going to go with... Um, I guess what I'm looking forward to doing a little bit this summer, which is uh, taste a bunch of California wine while I'm here. Ooh, that uh, is a great answer. There's some amazing wine in California. Yes, indeed. Yes, and I and I love my wine, so I'm looking forward to that. Incredible. What what has brought you out to California for the summer? Well, actually, I you know my work is tech related so i actually spend a good bit of time in california and i often go back and forth so this is not the first time but for the last several years i have been when i'm not teaching i'm based here and when i'm teaching i'm based in philly mm. okay so let's let's go back in time and maybe you can describe the first moment that you became interested in ai mm. well so i guess you know, first of all, I should say here that my background is in engineering. So my background uh, was in electronics engineering and computer science um, in college. Having said that, it was at a time when AI wasn't as hot as it is. And it wasn't even, you know, a required course or a popular elective. So I actually didn't take many courses on any course in AI at the time. Uh, so my first sort of foray or ex, uh, exposure to AI uh, was when I joined as a PhD student at Carnegie Mellon. And it so happened there was this, uh, you know, very famous Nobel laureate at Carnegie Mellon, his name was Herb Simon. Um, and he had the unique distinction of being a Nobel laureate, a Turing Prize winner, which is of course the highest prize in computer science and also a winner of the highest prize in psychology. And so he was a legend on campus and people talked about, you know, this genius professor who, you know, has the highest award in three different fields. And so it almost felt like, well, I'm a student there, I have to take his course. And so I enrolled in his course. And that was the first time I got exposed to AI because he brought in his knowledge of psychology, how the human mind works, his knowledge of computer science, how to translate some of that to computers, and also his knowledge of economics in general, specifically behavioral economics, um, and had a really interesting course. I used to struggle to wake up early back in those days, and his was a 9 a.m. class, so I missed quite a few, but I also made it to quite a few sessions. Um, and so, yeah, that was my first exposure, and it was uh, very interesting, but it wasn't my area of study at that time. Mm. 
And uh, how maybe even now talk to us uh, about the current, about what what you're focused on and really thinking about with AI right now. Yeah, so a lot of my work over the last 10, 15 years has been related to AI, specifically as it relates to um, society and to business. Um, And so, you know, some of that work started uh, when I started to study recommendation systems, you know, the the algorithms that make us great recommendations on Netflix or YouTube or Amazon on what media we should watch or what products we should consume. And I got interested in how they affect the choices we make. And a lot of my work initially studied how these algorithms influence the choices we make at an individual level and also at an aggregate level, how it fundamentally changes as a society you know, what is the information base to which we are exposed or, uh, you know, how complex decisions get made at the workplace, for example. So, for example, recruiters making uh, decisions on which candidates to invite for job interviews based on, uh, you know, AI analysis or algorithmic analysis of resumes. So that's how I got into that space right now in the last uh, three years, my focus has been almost 70 to 80% of it has been on looking at AI and creativity, uh, looking at what does AI mean for creators in general and creative economies. And also another aspect of, of it has been on risks around AI. And so looking at how we can use AI as a force for good, use it as a great tool uh, for us individually and also for business and society, but at the same time, be aware of the risks and and manage some of that. And my book, uh, which is called A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence, was focused um, a lot on, uh, you know, managing some of those risks. Mm. So I I love uh, your focus on creators and creativity. Do you think that um, the writers are uh, are correct to be striking now about AI and and angry? Or do you think uh, like if you were an artist right now, would you be excited? Would you be terrified? Would you be all of the above? Like how, how should artists be feeling? Yeah, look, uh, if I were an artist right now, I would be excited and terrified at the same time. <laughs> but I think more excited than terrified, I would say. So I, I understand at some level the writer strike and it's it's focused on many things, but one of them is AI and they've brought up AI as a big area of concern. And I think some of those concerns are coming from the right place, but many of them are coming from the wrong place. And so what I mean by that is I feel as a creator, I wouldn't be thinking as much about, you know, losing my job to AI. I would be thinking about how I can become a better creator, better artist with AI as the best tool that a creator could have had in history ever. And how do I take my game to the next level with AI? And that's, I think, where the action is. And in fact, a lot of uh, research shows that one of the things that AI does is it increases productivity on average for all workers and especially for creative workers. But I think what's important is that it boosts productivity for low-skill workers much more so than high-skill workers. So it um, reduces the skill gap between the best professionals, best creative professionals, and the good professionals. And so what it means is also that it just 
will usher in a whole new army of creators who previously couldn't have been competing at the highest level, but now they'll be able to punch well above their weight. And therefore, new creators coming in, new forms of creativity coming in. So I'm actually excited about what it could unleash while being cautious about you know potential challenges. It's a it's a great way to to phrase it, and uh, maybe we can backtrack for a second also because, um, and maybe you can talk to us about how it is that the AI can even be creative in the first place um, when mostly we've seen AI playing roles with, uh, you know, logic and analytical tasks. Like how how is the AI even capable of creativity, and it, can we call it creativity? Right, right. Great. Um, in a great question. I think, uh, you know, I, I think, first of all, some people argue that what we're seeing with AI art right now is not really creativity. It's, it's either, you know, just replicating what it's seen or, you know, quote, unquote, stealing creative ideas and so on. And I think, again, that that those statements are misplaced. Uh, I think, first of all, you know, creativity is often where we do something unexpected. And sometimes that comes from learning from the art or creations of other people and mashing it in interesting ways or taking it into new places and so on. And AI can be exceptional at that. You can give AI a lot of, you know, let's say writing by lots of writers or art by famous painters and really start exploring and when I say start exploring, it would be, you know, what if you mashed, you know, Arthur Conan Dyle's writing style with Sherlock Holmes in a horror genre like Stephen King? And I'm making this up, but, you know, mash creative ideas in interesting ways. And sometimes some of the best artists in history, what they've done is they have, you know, taken creative exploration into new areas. And, and so, you know, AI can really enable that in interesting ways. Um, also, you know, modern AI doesn't only learn from data. AI is capable of experimenting. This is an idea in machine learning called reinforcement learning, where, uh, you know, AI is capable of exploring in different directions and seeing what happens. That's at, you know, that's at the core of creativity, which is exploration, experimentation, and AI can enable that. And now you pair that AI with a human creator and suddenly I feel like, you know, where, let's say as a writer, if I'm writing a novel today, I might have explored, a, you know, maybe three, four potential endings for my story. And due to deadlines or due to just fatigue, picked one of those and, and then written my novel. With AI increasing my productivity, I can maybe explore 50 different ending ideas. Mm. And so it, I think it's a great tool for exploration, uh, experimentation, and that's at the heart of creativity. So I, I do believe AI is creative. And not only that, AI can enhance human creativity too. It's, a, it's amazing. We're here in the Crypto Cafe. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg. I'm delighted to be speaking with Kartik Hosanagar, Howard Professor of Technology and Digital Business and Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, Kartik, I'm curious about some of the IP issues that have been coming up uh, recently. I think we all heard about uh, kind of AI creating a, a Drake song or mashup with The Weeknd that, that the artists were not that happy about. And and when I think about it like that, those are living artists 
artists that were able to express an opinion of whether they wanted their work uh, to be used in AI data set. Like now, what, what happens when you talk about deceased artists or estates managing artists that, that are... Um, you know, and, and it, but my brain starts to explode with uh, with what's going on. So help us understand the IP minefield we found ourselves in. Right, right. <laughs> I think that's the area where I tend to agree with some of the concerns of the artists. So it's not so much the fear that AI is not creative or that AI will take away jobs, which, you know, it will at some level, but also it gives people new opportunities. But where I think some of the challenges lie is I feel on the IP side and you know it's it's a pretty big area I guess you know the quick long and short of it would be you know like let's say with the Drake song you know did they get Drake's consent um, when they did that uh, did they was Drake compensated for that uh, and the answer to both of those is no and I think that's the kind of issue. And, and by the way, you know, on OpenAI's website, you can see demos of like, let's say a song created with um, in Elvis's voice in his style. Um, and so that's an example of a deceased, uh, deceased artist who you're kind of reviving with a new song or new music. And I think the possibilities are quite interesting. I mean, you know, personally, you know, as let's say an Elvis Presley fan, I would love to uh, see some new songs by Elvis. Um, run through most of the library or catalog there. Um, and so I think it's exciting, but I think the issues of consent and compensation are really important ones. Um, and, you know, uh, the issues around this are mostly going to be twofold. One is how do you ensure that there is a culture of consent and compensation around this, but also there are technical issues around this, which is how do you even know um, if my song or my writing was used to train certain AI? So with the Drake song, it's obvious because it's created in his voice. But let's say, you know, my music is used to train some AI that is generating music or my writing is used to train AI that is now writing. And so new great novel comes out or new great song comes out and it's these are bestsellers. And they're trained on a thousand different styles or maybe 10,000 different styles. How do you know, you know, how much of it was my contribution as an artist? Um, and how do I get suitably comp compensated for that? And th those are hard issues, both from a standpoint of how do you even know your data or your art has been used to train this AI, especially if that AI has been designed by somebody who is not trying to play the game fair and is not revealing this information and has stolen uh, art or, or used copyrighted content without permission. Um, and, you know, I think, how do you know that is, is part of the challenge? And then secondly, even if you know your art is in there, how do you determine what portion of, you know, some art that has been created using AI uh, was really your contribution versus, you know, 10,000 other artists whose art was used to train the AI. So yeah, very complicated issues uh, have to be solved. And I actually feel they will get solved over time. It's, uh, it's, it's really interesting and exciting. Um, I, I'm curious, what, 
I know you work a lot with companies and advising companies on how to utilize AI. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is the fact that um, everyone's kind of using the same tech and building on top of the same platform. So how would how are you advising companies today to differentiate themselves or to think differently about AI in a world where everyone is using the same tools? That's so true. I mean, I feel like a week in AI feels like two years in you know a different industry <laughs> yes. because uh, you know ChatGPT came out. Everyone was excited about uh, building on top of uh, you know the 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 model uh, GPT three and a half now GPT four, and of course others have been building on top of earlier versions of this GPT two and GPT three for years, and there's you know, other models from Google, Facebook, Stanford, and others. And there's so many startups that are building on top of the same foundational, let's call them language models, but you could talk about it in the settings of image or other forms of AI as well. But so many companies that are building on top of the same foundational models and doing relatively simple things with that. And so while there was early excitement, now everyone's kind of worried about, oh, wow, you know, it won't take long for a competitor to mimic this. And that's kind of true. Ultimately, as I think about, you know, how do you as a company, whether that's a large company or a startup building on top of these foundational AI models, how do you differentiate? To me, it comes down to three things. One is data. Are you bringing in proprietary data to retrain those foundational models. That data has to be something that is truly proprietary and meaningfully moves the performance of those models. Um, so for example, when a, let's say a Bloomberg is trying to build some AI system on top of Bloomberg data and they're building it on top of the same open AI GPT-4, but they've got some really proprietary financial services data that others don't, yes, they can build something proprietary. So that's one, data. The second is user experience. So can you package that you know, feature that you've built on top of the same infrastructure as others in, and you can bring it in a very compelling user experience that wins users over. And so you know, that's, uh, you know, again, not the AI itself, but you've really delivered the AI in a very compelling manner to users. And the third is distribution. So maybe you've got the same AI as others, but you've got a distributional advantage. So for example, there's many people, many companies that are building image editing apps and software where you take a photo, you can edit it with using AI, crop somebody out of the image, change the background, change something about your own appearance and so on. Very easy to build on top of existing foundational image models. Now, I think those startups that are trying to do this will be at a disadvantage if a Google or an Apple folds this into you know, their OS because they have a distribution advantage. So I think these are the three, data, user experience, and distribution to me that gives you an edge. Great answer. Kartik, in our final moments together, I would just love, maybe you can just summarize for us what's most exciting you right now and what is most keeping you up at night. <laughs> well, most exciting for me, I, I think I go back to AI and creativity. I feel like, you know, AI is going to turbocharge creativity. To me, 
the fears are valid, but I think what is going to happen and the analogy I'll use is, this is something a colleague of mine mentioned as we were chatting, was when photography entered uh, the market and all of a sudden what photography did was it changed um, paintings in some way, you know, because, um, you know, when up until that point, a lot of painting was, you know, still life and capturing on canvas reality as, you know, capturing the art as close to reality, you know, portraits was were very realistic. And once you have photography, you think, okay, that's the end of portrait art, because who's going to get portrait art, if you've got a photograph that can do that, but then all of a sudden, you know, painting went into a different direction, more abstract, more uh, impressionist, and so on. And so I think something similar could happen in creativity, where when AI can easily replicate, you know, standard kinds of creations that humans are making, it will allow humans to take their own creativity into new directions, perhaps enabled by AI as well. Um, so I think that's that could be just fantastic, whether it's writing or music or other such uh, fields. So that's what excites me. In terms of what um, you know, I would worry about with, with AI, I would worry mostly about the fact that AI is changing and improving and advancing and developing at such a rapid clip that people might not be able to keep up. I think the risks are real. And for us to manage those, those risks, we have to educate people and educating our senators and congressmen and lawmakers and educating kids in school. All of that is super important given AI is going to change business and society in such a big way. And can we educate people fast enough? I worry that we can't. Mm, these are, uh, well, we'll have to circle back and, and touch base on on both of these. Kardik, thank you so much for joining today. What a fascinating conversation. Where can our listeners go to keep in touch with you and everything that you're writing and thinking about and, and teaching about? Yeah, I spend a lot of time um, talking about AI, thinking about AI. Uh, you know, the best way to connect with me would be on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, easy to find me with my name, Karthik Hosanagar, K-A-R-T-I-K, Hosanagar, H-O-S-A-N-A-G-A-R. And outside of that, um, you know, just to follow, you know, other writings. I have a book called A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence. And I blog a fair bit on LinkedIn. So that's another place to connect with some of my writings. Wonderful. Well, I hope you have a terrific summer in California, immersed in tech. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thanks for having me, Randy. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. That was Kardik Hosanagar, Howard Professor of Technology and Digital Business and Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, fascinating conversation about AI, the intersection with creativity, creators. Feels like we're on the cutting edge of both a renaissance and uh, a bit of a, a an uprising and revolution with some of these technologies. So it'll be fascinating to think about. And it's great to have thought leaders like Kardik on the front lines. Thanks for tuning in to Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. Uh, please join us next week where we have an all new episode about everything on the cutting edge of technology.